0: Today's lesson is James chapter 2, and we're going to start in the proverb of the day before we go into James, where we left off the last time, Proverbs 10, 4 and 5, two verses, right in the middle of the Bible, Proverbs 10, 4 and 5. It says, he who deals with a slack hand becomes poor, but the hand of the diligent makes one rich. He who gathers in summer is a wise son. But he who sleeps in harvest is a son who causes shame. He who deals with a slack hand, really somebody who's lazy. If you look at other translations, that's what the theme is. And uh, verses 4 and 5 do go together. And there's a common theme in the Bible that folks who are lazy will impoverish themselves. And uh, they can make a spiritual application there too. Uh, Laziness is a sin. I believe according to the scripture, it just brings heartache to us. God designed us to think to work to move to be active Um, and it says that the hand of the diligent makes one rich or the hard worker makes one rich now you could say rich there's a hyperbole there but certainly successful and the more you work the more you put effort into it sure you could become rich now there's just a little caveat to that in that some people worship their jobs some people worship their success and um, to the detriment of their own family and their own relationships. And that's something that we always have to be wary of. How much money do I actually need? How much retirement do I actually have to have? Because what's the sense in getting all the way to that point, and you've ruined all the relationships up to that point? So there's really a balance in the Bible. God gives us balance, and that's why he gave us such an intricate brain. But those who work hard can succeed. It says, he who gathers in the summer... Is a wise son, verse 5. This is a hard working son and discerns when to work in the field. God likes an honest, hardworking person. But he who sleeps in harvest is a son who causes shame. Second Thessalonians 3:10 in the New Testament says, This is the New Testament: if a man doesn't work, a man shouldn't eat. Now, of course. we we look at disability, we look at somebody who's severely disabled, the society and family should take care of him, no doubt. But as a rule, if a man doesn't work, and he's able to, a man shouldn't eat, according to the scripture. And, you know, we have a society that's becoming more and more lazy, I believe, but feeling entitled. And sadly enough, I see some of the decisions that are made in this administration, and it's almost as if that is rewarded, and that's a crime. It's hurtful to the person who is is not... is being lazy. It's, it's hurtful to that person. Okay. Laziness can also be carried into other areas. If you look at relationships, if we're lazy in a relationship, all right, what happens? Eventually that relationship breaks down, especially a marriage. It's work, or your children, or your children with you. It takes work, especially as they become teenagers. They start to change. They become more independent. They uh, start looking at their future away from the home. So there's a, a good balance there. Okay? Relationships are important to put hard work into. And certainly, there's laziness that can be in our walk with the Lord. But the good news here is that God allows repentance. No matter what we've done, especially for those who don't know the Lord, no matter what you've done in life, oh, Pastor Joe said, it's over for me. I haven't maintained my relationship with the Lord. God always allows a change of direction. He allows repentance, and he allows us to rebuild that. No matter how old you are, and you come to the Lord, maybe later on in life, he doesn't hold that against you. If you come to the cross, Jesus died for your sins. He doesn't hold that against you. Wherever you are in your walk with the Lord, it can start all over again, okay? And it can be beautiful. God can restore the years the locusts have eaten, as the Bible tells us. Now, what's interesting here is we're going to talk about faith without works is dead. It's just where we are in the scripture. And the Bible uh, tells us that there's an issue with faith and works. And what's amazing is, I just talked about this proverb of the day, but it does coincide with our New Testament message, and it is uncoordinated. It wasn't planned that way. So the last time we talked about in going back to James, or forward to James, chapter 2, verse 14, we spoke about the last time how a person of faith must be fair and that discrimination is really a a sin of the heart and in in the instance that we spoke about last Sunday it had to do with the poor man versus the rich man and how those folks in the church treated them differently okay today we're going to see a very popular doctrinal section often quoted and debated faith without works is dead and what does it mean verse 14 James says so what does it profit my brethren if someone says he has faith but does not have works can faith save him if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food and one of you says to them depart in peace be warmed and filled but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body what does it profit thus also faith by itself if it does not have works it is dead that's pretty powerful well what I'm going to try to do today is, again, we're all at different levels where we are in the Lord. Some people are you know, theologians at this point, and some are just new believers, and some aren't even believers. Uh, so what we're going to try to do is get, get the doctrinal aspect of it, but also make sense of it in simple terms. We are justified or declared righteous. This is a positive action bestowed on us by God. You're declared righteous. That's called justification by faith in Christ. Let me read what the Apostle Paul says, uh, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. The Apostle Paul says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Wow. So by grace, God's grace, we have been saved. But the vehicle for the grace to reach us is through faith. Faith in Christ and what he's done on the cross none of us can earn salvation so so works you know the apostle Paul is very clear about that there's no such thing as salvation by works we don't earn salvation it's through grace okay and the vehicle is by believing in jesus that opens up the storehouses of heaven for um the past to be forgotten to be forgiven of our sins and it all just kind of showers down on us it's like a chute that's opened up it's really neat but he says it's not of works lest anyone should boast but the evidence of that fruit the fruit of that faith is works remember see if if we look at james and say okay i missed last sunday this sunday it'll be a different topic the book of james there's a thread throughout the book from the first verse to the last verse and they all james will refer back to what he said earlier it's all intertwined it's a beautiful mosaic or tapestry so i'm going to often refer back to something that James said before or something that he says in the future. James says before that to lay aside all filthiness, take all that bad stuff out of our heart so that the implanted word uh, can take seed in our heart and grow. Okay, taking what he said before, if that, what does a seed do when it grows in good soil? It becomes a plant or a tree, and then eventually it produces fruit. So here, if the implanted word is growing in our hearts from the last time James spoke, What we see is the end result is the fruits of that tree, and these are works. Let's look at different churches and what they believe. The Roman Catholic Church teaches that works are integral to salvation. Evangelicals say that we are justified by faith. As a matter of fact, Habakkuk 2.4 in the Old Testament, the just shall live by faith. That one verse sparked the Reformation the big division and schism in the Catholic Church where the reformers now started their own movement that one verse Habakkuk 2 4 the just shall live by faith well I grew up in the Catholic Church and you have to give Catholics credit for their works and their activism they're very active they do works They're they're involved in the community you know they're trying to uh, tell the society what what should happen and what shouldn't happen they're very pro-life but Sometimes they shame born-again Christians in works. Although the Catholic Church on Sunday, their teaching of the Word is very anemic. It's only relegated to a few minutes in the homily. Evangelicals now are usually big into the Word and justification by faith, but sometimes they're anemic when it comes to works, right? We need both. Faith and works are inseparable, according to James. Verse 14. So he says... He's this situation, he says, what is the profit, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? Or, other translation, is that an example of saving faith? James postulates a lot of questions here. It's a rhetorical, well, it, it is a rhetorical question, but it is demanding a no for an answer. In the Greek sentence structure, the answer really is no. That's what James is looking for here. So he puts out a challenge. What is the profit or usefulness of a faith with no action? faith without evidence and the answer is none that's what he's trying to tell us verse 15 and 16 James gives an example and probably something he saw himself if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food and one of them says to you and one of you says to them depart in peace be warmed and filled but you not do not give them the things which are needed for the body what does it profit I'm going to to tell you where this is God's word and where I'm speculating. I'm going to speculate, okay? Last Sunday, we saw an example of James telling us that a poor man and a rich man came into church and they were treated differently based on their economic status. If James is still speaking about that guy, okay, in the last chapter or, or the earlier chapter, two things have happened here. Number one, rich guy, poor guy. Poor guy gets sent in the back. You know, we, we, you're, you're, you look bad, you're, you're making us look bad, just go sit in the back. You want to listen to the service, fine, but do where nobody else can see you. So number one, the poor guy was re-oppressed or re-victimized. And number two, if this is the same guy, they sent him away out of the church and didn't even help him. He could have been there with his wife and kids and they all looked disheveled. Kids barely had any clothing. And the church people, like not bad enough, they put him in the back, but they let him go away without uh, helping his needs. James has a problem with that. Unfortunately, this is not a cultural issue. There are some in Christianity today that may have that same attitude towards these type of people. Remember who James is addressing: people who call themselves believers, who walk the talk but don't walk, or who talk the talk but don't walk the walk. And in chapter one, James said, "Be a doer and not just a hearer." Okay. Tailing on what James said earlier, he said, "Don't just be a hearer; be a doer also." real saving working faith okay we qualify the faith what are we talking about when we talk about faith the faith movement says if you just have enough faith faith in faith it's almost like a battery meter when you get to 100 percent, you can move a mountain or you can i can make Russ lift up off that chair you know you just you can do whatever you want you just got to build up your faith it's a thing that you do when they teach you these techniques no our faith is in christ faith isn't in faith The faith movement is is errors in that place because you have to put your faith in something. But if real, saving, working faith would have tried to help these folks, it would have been moved with compassion. Faith is dynamic. It's active. Verse 17. Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. That's a chilling conclusion inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is a dead faith. And we put the title today as Tombstone faith. Of faith, as the sermon implies. Is there anyone here who would want to be told that their faith was dead? Not me. I wouldn't want to hear that. 1 John three seventeen through 19. He kind of tails on this uh, similar situation here. 1 John three seventeen through 19. John says, but whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how Does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth, and we shall assure our hearts or set at rest our hearts before him. Another New Testament post-Jesus passage that should shake us out of complacency is 2 Corinthians 13, 5 and 6, two verses, the Apostle Paul says at his closing, uh, in his second, his, his second letter to the Corinthians, he says this, Examine yourselves. There's an introspection here. Okay, Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Prove yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified. But I trust that you will know that we are not, that we are not disqualified. Wow. The Apostle Paul spoke against working your way to salvation or salvation by the law. We already covered Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Remember, the Apostle Paul was dealing with a lot of Judaizers. The Apostle Paul um, was dealing with a lot of you know, missions issues and new believers. And what he was saying is, listen, you can't work your way to salvation. Forget that. Get that out of your, out of your mind. By keeping the law or doing good deeds, that's not going to do it. It has to be God's grace through the vehicle of faith. James is looking at this from the vantage point of the evidence of real saving faith versus uncompassionate, selfish, disobedient to the Holy Spirit, dead faith. Because we're going to see, James uses some great examples about the demons who also believe. We're going to cover that, but they're not saved. Verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works. I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God? You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works faith was made perfect? Verse 18. Someone says you have faith and I have works. James is saying, Listen, you can't separate the two. They go together. That's the whole argument from many angles. Says, Show me your faith without works. Well, that's a bad example. James tells us, I will show you my faith by my works. True faith is evidential. It has fruit. Let me give you an example. Okay, there's reading the paper. You know, the F-22 was supposed to be the great strike fighter plane of the United States. You had the F-18, now you're going to the F-22 and it has the, the multi-directional vector thrusters and the thing can turn on a dime, right? It's pretty sharp stuff. I saw the, the military channel, it's really neat. But they're having a lot of problems with the F-22 and they're thinking of what we received already, just taking it and scrapping the rest of them and going with the F-35, which is the next line of you know, assault fighter jets, right? But here's the thing. When, you, when the government buys a product, you want it to work, especially that, especially that plane, especially when they're spending billions of dollars on one plane, or a few hundred million. What you want that to thing to do is take off off the runway, fly, and defend our skies from assault, right? To keep the citizens of the United States safe. That's what we want it to do. Well, what if that thing doesn't work? There's two places for that plane, that F-22, if they can't get it to work. Number one, the museum. And they take it apart, put it in a museum. Oh, it looks very pretty. The other place is to put it in a scrapyard and use it for parts. And you can go through the museum and look at that F-22 and say, Man, that thing is sharp. It's all shiny. Look at the cockpit. Look at all the things on it. Look at the thrusters. But you know what? What does it do? It doesn't do anything. That's why it's in the museum. So the point is, our faith. Is it a working faith? Is it useful to do what it's supposed to do? Or is it a dead faith? looks kind of neat on the outside, but we can put our faith in the museum for everybody else to see because it doesn't do a darn thing. That's a good example with the fighter jets, if I say so myself here. (laughs) Verse 19, he says, "Um, you believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and they tremble. You get the impression that they also had sarcasm 2,000 years ago. And we've all heard this. Oh, yeah, I believe in God. That syrupy, general, non-confrontational statement. You believe in God, I believe in God. Well, if that's you, you're in the same category as the demons who also believe in God, but, and they tremble. Men, or mere intellectual assent, is not a real, working, saving faith. Now, check this out. Do you realize demons, right, they have a greater belief and faith than any Christian? And you may say, "Have you gone off your rocker?" That's blasphemy. How could you say that? Well, the answer is because they deal with God in the spiritual realm every single day, to more of an extent than we do. So, if there's anybody who has faith and believes in God, it's the demons, and some of them have been cast out personally by Jesus Christ. Maybe they were testing him. You know, oh, he's the he, he's the son. He is God he came in the flesh. I wonder if he lost anything. So they start, I don't know, they started possessing people and making them do crazy things. And Jesus comes up and they felt the power right away. Whoa, Jesus, don't send us into the abyss. Please give us a little bit more time. Can we go into the pigs? 2000 of you get up get into the pigs. So the point is that there are some demons that are in existence today that have personally met Jesus and he personally with 100,000 or 1,999 of their friends Jesus was able to kick their butts take them out of the person and send them into the pigs so if there's anyone who has a real faith in God and belief it's the demons there's your answer but the demons believe that Christ is real but they don't believe in Christ for their salvation do you see the difference see the difference Do we want to be in the same category as those demons not me now the caveat to this is if if you're new to the church if you're listening on the website if you're listening on the cd and somebody gave you a cd and you don't know the lord this shouldn't be here to frighten you as a matter of fact some of you who aren't believers may even be hindered from coming to the cross because of hypocrisy you've seen in the church or Christians who talk a good talk, but don't walk the walk. Christians that don't help in the time of need. However, however, the caveat to the caveat is, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So, on Judgment Day, an unbeliever can't stand before God and say, you know what, you should let me in, because all those hypocritical Christians are the reasons why I didn't come to the cross. That's not going to hold water. It's not going to be an excuse. I just got this... Um, new may 2009 uh the berean call and it's interesting he wrote an article and i just read it yesterday i said i got to read that he says why does it seem that there is such a lack of interest among most non-christian young people today when they hear about godly belief and living i believe it has much to do with the absence of strong christian testimony evidenced by holiness among believers this affects the communities around us in a major way Christians are not salting society with the moral standard that keeps the human conscience alive. There is also a lack of passionate evangelistic outreach by many Christians who seem to be taken up more with their own pursuits than with the needs of a lost and sinful world headed for hell. We can make a lot of analogies and pictures and, you know, it was supposed to be salt and light. And Jesus says, if the salt isn't doing its job, it's good for nothing but to be thrown out of the house and be trampled underfoot by men. Sometimes in the Christian world, uh, you, you got the salt shaker with the salt, which we're supposed to be, and the salt is clumping together, like you see in humid conditions. And you go like this, and no salt comes out, because Christians are just clumping together. They're not salting the world. I believe this guy's assertions. That's why I read it. So if you look at James's example today, and let's compare it to our church this would be, because some people worry, oh, what, does that mean I'm not saved? Am I not in the faith? I'm not going there, okay? But look at what he's trying to say. And maybe this will help you out. If somebody comes into our church now or before service starts, and they're obviously in tatters, unshaven, you know, dirty, um, they're just looking really, really bad uh, because of poverty. This is commensurate to us me you looking at that person say brother you look a little malnourished and your kids boy they barely have any clothes hey I gotta go be warm be filled see you maybe next Sunday could we do that I I would certainly hope not a spirit-filled Christian would have to go against every fiber in their being to do that if we're filled with the spirit that actually would be a hard thing to do not an easy thing okay there's your answer now Neither I nor James is saying that after this sermon today, everybody goes out, goes into the most crime-ridden neighbor neighborhoods, brings a sack full of money, and starts handing it out. <laughs> I won't see you again next Sunday. Uh, so I'm not, uh, he's not saying that. Even when we talk about the, uh, the Trenton outreach that Dan and Jen um, have prayed about and, and started this awesome Trenton outreach, they go down there. They don't give out cash. They give out socks, they give out underwear, they give out Bibles, they give out coats. And they come to me and say, hey, we need more supplies. I'm like, yeah, no problem. Get whatever you need. We even worked out a deal with one of the uh, department stores and we got a, a, a discount so we can buy more in bulk. No problem. Whatever those people need, I'm happy to give it to them, but I'm not going to send them down there with a bag of, of, of nobody should do that. I, w- I don't do that personally because, you know, you want to give them, listen, Here's a little test. If you see somebody in need and you say, hey, and you move with compassion, let's go to the store right now and buy $200 worth of groceries. And they go, listen, man, I just need a $20 bill and I'll be fine. Well, they're telling you something there. They're telling you that they're not looking for it. So it works both ways, okay? (laughs) Right? Now, this is obviously, James' example, is a dire situation that's discernible and within reach. Will you get beat out of money when you help people? Yes, I've been beat out of money plenty of times. Hopefully as time goes on, I learn not to get beat so much. But that's on them, not on you. We can't be paranoid about, well, I don't want to help that person because what if it's not a real need? You see what I'm saying? Pray about it. God will put people in your path. All of us can look up to a time that somebody was put in our path and maybe we blew it. Maybe they they went away and we thought, gee, I wonder if that was from the Lord. And some of us have responded to the call. And maybe we've done a little bit of both. So you got to look at this from all, all angles the other point to this is that as believers as individuals we're not here to maintain anyone's lifestyle there are people who are deceptive and I've had people come to me I can't pay my bills well you have the newest nicest lease vehicle that you're driving your kids are in private school okay and you have all the greatest name brands I'm not giving you anything go shop at Kmart you know what I'm saying why wouldn't be caught dead in Kmart? Well, I guess then there's going to be, you won't be able to see your beautiful name brand closes because they're going to shut off the electricity and it's going to be dark in your house. The point is that you know, there's a difference between need in America and need in India. Okay? It, it's very hard, and it, I'm not saying it doesn't happen, to find somebody here who starves to death because we're compassionate people, there's a lot of social services, and there should be but over in some of these other countries people will just literally drop dead from malnutrition or or, or bad health care so again this is a balancing act here the other extreme of james's example here are those that are what i would call takers they'll take your time your counsel your resources your meals your gifts whatever they can get but they don't give back they haven't figured out that relationship is a two-way street okay Understand this, when we give, okay, as believers, we're moved to give, it's not always financial. It's something that's sacrificial. It's something that costs us something. Let me explain. The word for works that's used in the Greek is, depending on how it's conjugated, erga or ergon. Now that base of the word ergon is the word where we get the word erg in English. If you know the physics and sciences, an erg is the basic unit of work or energy. So it's kind of neat how the language is the etymology of languages. And what that's saying is that when you give, when you do your works, you give something sacrificially, okay? Now, it could be volunteer, it could be financial, it could be just as simple as going out of your way for somebody, that type of thing. So works come in really a lot of shapes and sizes, and just your help. Is somebody you need, are you there to help them? Um, And certainly not on somebody else's dime. When I signed up to the police department and they said, you know, you're going to carry a gun and you're going to keep the law and you're going to help people and you're going to save people's lives and you're going to pull people out of burning cars, you're going to do CPR and bring people back. And I said, wow, that's really neat how much you pay me. And they gave me a figure. I signed on the dotted line. They pay me for doing that work. So when I'm on patrol and I save people's lives, I can't go, look, I did great works. That's on somebody else's dime whether it's ministry or it's a job that you do, it's got to cost you something. It doesn't cost me anything. I actually get paid for saving people's lives. That doesn't count, all right? So understand when we do works, it's something that we give of ourselves to someone else. So I just want to make sure that that's clear. King David, great example. And I just thought of it, and I I was like, I got to find that somewhere in 2 Samuel. King David went to buy a threshing floor from Aruna, this guy named Aruna. Because what he wanted to do was he wanted a sacrifice to God on this threshing floor. So Arunah says, oh, you're the king. I'll give it to you for free. You know, with the job comes its perks. And King David says, how can I give to the Lord what doesn't cost me anything? What an awesome response. King David's like, if I get this for free and I sacrifice to the Lord, I'm not giving him anything because I got it for free. You see? And that was the whole thing with the lambs. If you were to give your lambs to the priesthood and take it to the temple and they would be, you know, sacrificed for your sins. Um, God said, I don't want the one with the runny eye or the third, you know, he's only got three legs or, you know, he's, he's, he's just about to croak any day. I don't want those lambs. I want the best that you have. That's important to understand that. Verse 20. But you want to know, oh foolish man, that faith without works is dead. James says it for the second time. Faith without works is dead. I saw a bumper sticker. (laughs) You know, I think bumper stickers cause you to tailgate, especially when they're written real small. You're like, what does that say? (laughs) Boom. (laughs) I didn't hit the car though. So I see a bumper sticker and it's kind of cute. And I started laughing when I saw it. It says, uh, look busy, Jesus is coming. I mean, it's funny rapture jesus is coming look busy but it's terrible theology it's like the parable of the expectant servant the servant didn't know when his master was going to come back one of them was doing bad stuff the other one was behaving himself and doing the right thing and the one was really caught off guard so we're not supposed to look busy we're supposed to be busy and there's a difference there verse 21 and understand this too I got to hit all these points when we serve if we're not serving with joy, and it's not an overflow of the Holy Spirit, then we shouldn't be serving. Even 2 Corinthians 9, 6, and 7, the Apostle Paul, when it talks, he talks about tithing. He says, if you, um, if you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. If you sow in abundance, you'll reap in abundance. But God loves a cheerful giver. Don't give anything to God if you're, oh, I've got to write this check. Oh, I have to tithe. And you just, you're just psh, tearing it out and sending it out. Put it in the mailbox before I change my mind. I mean that's not the right heart when we serve no matter what we do whether we tire though we give or we volunteer it should be out of a joyful heart we should we should enjoy doing it and I think the point he's saying here is listen if we've been Christians 10 15 20 years and we don't do anything our faith is not real true saving faith I didn't say it, James did but I think that he's you know we all have a gift. If we've been a Christian a few years, we know what we're good at. We know what God has blessed us with. We know how we can serve because he's given us those spiritual gifts. And, and it doesn't take long or much to pray about and see, you know, what is it that God wants me to do? And I think this is really a lesson in love. James, I, you know, some will look at this and say, boy, James is really hard on these folks or hard on us. I think it's a lesson in love. James is saying, listen, the ship is listing. <laughs> you better write it before it sinks. That's a lesson in love. That's tough love there. Now, a little theology here. The Apostle Paul in Romans 4, if you remember your Romans, said that Abraham was imputed righteousness by faith. Abraham, imputed righteousness. In other words, God credited righteousness to Abraham's account because he believed God. That's Paul. James says Abraham was justified by works. We just read it. Some think, oh, here we go. Inconsistencies in the Bible. There's a clash between James and James and Paul. Martin Luther had problems with James, as well as some reformed theologians of today. Justification by works, justification by faith, back and forth. Works, faith, works, faith. I kind of look at my quarter here, and I see if I can flip it, it's going to be tails, it's going to be heads, and I just do this all day long, tails, heads, tails, heads, tails, heads. If I go to the store, though, and they say, that'll be 25 cents, I say, oh, I'm going to give you tails. The guy's going to say, give me 25 cents or don't buy it. I've got to give him the quarter. And the quarter has both sides on it. You see, we ask the wrong questions sometimes, just like law and grace. Some will say, well, it's all about grace. Therefore, I can behave however I want, and God has to forgive me. That's called antinomianism. That's heresy, right? We still, if we love God, we obey his laws. And some will say, well, then it's all about the law. Even as Christians, so many legalistic Christians, well, I do all this just perfectly so God has to accept me. Paul came to say that if that was the case, then Jesus didn't have to die. We could have just followed Mosaic law. They're both wrong. That's the beauty about the delicacy of the balance of how God has set forth uh, his, his rules or his ways for us to live. That's why he gave us such a big brain, you know, so we can just live in that balance, that beautiful balance. Look, same thing with sovereignty and free will. If we look at free will, those who are um, Arminianists, it's all about free will. We make God an impotent God. God's up there, oh, I created these people, I can't even intervene, they're just making these decisions, what do I do, I created a monster. God's impotent when it comes to free will. What about sovereignty, right? Every decision that man makes, oh, you have no free will. God made you make that bad decision. God made Hitler exterminate all those Jews. That makes God an ogre because He willed these things to happen. That's a problem. Sin is the absence of following God. It's something that we created, believe it or not. We created that vacuum, okay? Faith and works are both sides of the same coin. I wanna read something. It's from the linguistic key to the Greek New Testament. (laughs) Is that funny? (laughs) He says this i couldn't have said it better and i didn't want to steal from him so i'm just going to read what he says he says as the tree is perfected by its fruits so faith by its works works do not animate faith that is so important works do not animate faith works don't give life to faith it doesn't happen that way but faith produces works and works perfect faith faith itself is perfected that is shown to be true by works hopefully by the time this is over we'll understand that relationship between faith and works so Abraham was justified by a working real saving faith when he trusted God to offer up his son on the altar and of course we know that God stopped him God doesn't condone human sacrifice God wanted to see if Abraham would give everything and prove to give everything because he loved God above all. And he did. Now let's look at this argument from both ends. If Abraham didn't do the works of sacrificing his son, what would that tell us? It would reveal that he did not have belief in God, he did not trust God, he didn't believe in the promises of God to have a a great nation to come from him, right? So if he didn't do the works, it would reveal something about his lack of faith. On the other end, if Abraham didn't have faith, He would have never gone to the altar. He would have got up like every other day. Hey, son, how's it going? What do you want for breakfast? That's good. He would have just ignored God, right? So if Abraham didn't have faith, he wouldn't have done the work. You see, they work together. For us, I believe in Jesus Christ. We can say this. I obey the Holy Spirit of God residing in me, and therefore, I do. I do works because it's part of who I am. It's inherent in who I am. When you make a, a commitment to your spouse and your before the altar, you know, oh, she's so beautiful, he's so handsome, everything's going to be great. Okay. And then the, the pastor or the, whoever marries you says, do you take this person in sickness and health and adversity or prosperity and all these things? It's great in the marriage when everything's going great. But sometimes in the marriage, things aren't going so great. But I do. I do because that's who I am. My wife and I are going to be married 12 years in June. It's awesome. You know, I'm not waiting to hope this thing runs out already. I could go another 12 years, 20 years, 30 years. I do. I've made a commitment to her. She's made a commitment to me. So when we make a commitment to God and we have that real, true, saving faith, I do. I do the works because it's part of who I am. Understand? Verse 22. Do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works faith was made perfect or mature or complete? works is evidential of a complete and mature believer not sinless but complete and mature verse 23 the last few verses and the scripture was fulfilled that says abraham believed god and it was accounted to him for righteousness and he was called the friend of god you see that a man is justified by works and not by faith only likewise was not rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way rahab the harlot she was a Canaanite. She was a, also a, a harlot. And uh, the children of Israel were coming into Jericho, and they were going to destroy that place, right? And Rahab said to the two spies when they came, the Israelite spies, first time she gets to meet these folks, she says, the terror of you has fallen on us because we know that the Lord has given you our land. She's, it's like a prophecy. She says this before. She had so, this is a, a Canaanite woman, right? A, a, a pagan And she's a prostitute. And she gives them this theological statement with a prophecy that would blow your mind better than some of the Israelites. So this woman is given honorable mention in the scripture. All Jericho knew what was going to happen, but only Rahab hid the spies. And then the king of of Jericho came and she said, yeah, they were here, but they went out another way. She did everything she could to protect these guys because she knew that their God was greater. Rahab had a real, saving, working faith. Verse 24, you see that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. In other words, do you see that by works a man's justification is proven or it's evident? Last verse. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. In case we didn't hear it the first two times, he says it the third time. Now, in, in the scripture, in God's word, when something is repeated over and over again, it's something that we need to pay attention to. The Greek word for dead is nekra, it's used three times in this chapter. In the English, we get the word necrotic or necrosis. It is the etymology again from the Greek to the English. If you look at in the in medical community, this is a picture of a rotting, putrefying bodily tissue. It smells, it's ugly, it's something you don't want to touch, it's infected, it's pretty bad if you ever saw it up close. Faith without works is as good as a rotting corpse. A rotting corpse is good for nothing but to be burned or to be buried I didn't say it James did and James is speaking to believers some may be offended by what James is saying this isn't one of the happier more go luckier portions of the scripture it's something that all of us and we me we're all included in us is something that we need to look at introspectively we can be offended we can look at it as good we can be convicted. We can be offended first and then convicted after much prayer and make changes. And it goes back to what we talked about right in the beginning with Proverbs, right? God always allows direction, change, repentance, and, and you know picking it up from where you left off. So the real question to this is, what does God's word want us to ask today? Well, Paul would say, am I truly in the faith? James would say, Do I have a real, working, saving faith? And the Lord would say, if not, get on the right track because I allow U-turns and repentance. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for your...